Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Series, and pretty much with every series, is that our messages would inspire and challenge and call forth a response from all of us, but they aren't just messages for Sunday. We, we want them to actually be like the entree, and then the main meal would be consumed during the week as you start to open the Word of God, read the Bible for yourself, that it would be a little bit like, you know when you think you're not that hungry, and then you're like, oh, I'll just have something little, just to, you know, because I'm not that hungry, but then as soon as you just start eating something little, you're like, oh, suddenly I'm just so famished. Like suddenly, I, is, is there anyone else like that or just me? A couple of people are honest. That's good. That's good. You, you know, maybe talking about food too much, we've just been, you know, on a trip back to New South Wales, where we're from, and uh, in Sydney, our priority was probably more, not so much people to see, or that was important, but food places to visit that we had, that we had missed over the time. So I won't name them because you won't care but there was, you know, the best Lebanese chicken place, there was the best pizza place, there was the best Thai place, the best coffee and bagel place, all those, all those things vitally important. But before we get too distracted and start, you know, thinking about lunchtime or anything like that, when it comes to the Word of God and the messages, we, we, we want to be a people that are hungry for God's Word, that we don't just come on a Sunday like famished from the week, like, ah, oh, I'm just so starving, I need, to, I need to get to church to hear the Word. But instead, we would be people that are in the Word during the week, uh, being renewed and refreshed with the nutrients that it brings, that when we come to Sunday, we're like, okay, I'm ready for God's Word again to come and encourage me, come and correct me, convict me, inspire me, ready to go. Why? Because I've had a relationship with God and His Word all throughout the week. So, Week three of Philippians uh, means chapter three. There's, there's four chapters in Philippians, and so four-week series, which I'll finish off next week. But as we've talked about already uh, in, this, in this book of the Bible, one of the key themes can be described as this, as defiant joy. Defiant joy. That is a joy that's not dependent on certain circumstances or situations going our way. And Chris preached so powerfully about this in week one. But as a people who follow Jesus, we're called to carry joy, to rejoice no matter the situation. No matter what circumstances we face, the call from God for each and every one of us is that we would approach it with defiant joy. Easy to say, you know, those things, there's, there's a lot of things that are easy to preach, harder to live, but that's the call of God for each and every one of our lives. So chapter 3 starts with this uh, great instruction from Paul. He says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Paul's writing this from prison. He's in prison because he's been preaching the gospel. Not only is he writing this from prison, but he's writing this to a church at Philippi that's had a lot of persecution coming against it, but also has some internal issues that it needs to sort out. 
You see, Paul is not one of those guys who tells everyone what to do during the hard times while sitting in his you know, inherited mansion, sipping cocktails while the staff does the gardening, the cooking and everything like that. No, no, Paul is right in there with the church. He, he, he's in chains. He, he knows what's going on. Paul is in this with the church. In fact, it says in chapter 1 of Philippians uh, 4 and 5, Paul says, whenever I pray... I make my request for all of you with joy. If you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Also, verse 7 of chapter 1 says, So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favour of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. You see, so throughout this book, Paul talks about rejoicing no matter the circumstances. He talks about holding an attitude and a life that displays joy no matter what the situation is. And he's doing this all while being in the game himself. You see, you know, with respect, Paul is not some, you know, overweight guy on the side of the footy field chomping on a pie, drinking, you know, Coke, no sugar for the health benefits, saying, oh, such a lazy so-and-so. Come on, I'd do so much better, but hasn't run for the last 10 years. No, no, that's not the approach that Paul is. What he is, is he's in the game. He's on the field. He's not a spectator. He's not saying from some lofty position, just rejoice in the Lord. He's living this out 24-7 in his life. Paul's understanding of defiant joy is not a theoretical one. He's living it out right in the moment. But what I want to get to today in this slightly shorter message, don't worry, it's slightly shorter because we made room for kids, um, is I want, I want to get to, I want to discover the source of this joy that Paul talks about. Because I'm sure we can all identify challenges to our lives that make it difficult to rejoice and to carry the joy of the Lord. You know, yours may not look like being thrown into prison for your faith, but there could be pressure that's a, that comes against your faith, maybe in your family, even in your workplace. You know, I'm sure we've all read the news. Andrew Thornburn definitely found that at Essendon Football Club. But maybe it's not challenges that are directly uh, against your faith in Jesus. Maybe it's other circumstances that are challenging for you. Maybe it's to do with your health. Maybe it's your finances, maybe it's family relationships, maybe it's in study, or maybe it's in the, being able to realise the dreams that you feel that God has put on the inside of your life. You see, how do we navigate the ups and downs of life, the pressures, the disappointments, the loss, the grief, the unmet expectations, and not be sucked into hopelessness, anger, or bitterness? What, what, what does the Bible say? What, what, what does the Bible call us to? You see, the world's solution, or one of the world's solutions, sounds pretty good to begin with. It's, it's to think positive. Think positive. Sounds great. You know, uh, when life gives you, life give you lemons, make, make lemonade. You know, always look on the bright side of, of life. You know, every cloud have a silver lining. Now, obviously, being able to see even the smallest slither of positivity in a hopeless situation is, is really important. There's nothing wrong with having a, a positive outlook and thinking about what could go right instead of what could go wrong. But the only issue with that is that the source that you rely on is simply yourself. You, see, you rely on yourself, my own ability to be able to look at a situation, 
and find hope in it. Or, or, or maybe you've got someone alongside you that can give you that different perspective and show you, hey, there is hope, there is light at the end of the tunnel. If you just turn the situation this way and see this or see that, that there is some positivity there. And those people are priceless. They're amazing. They give us energy. We want those people around our lives. But even so, even if we have people like that in our lives, they're still doing it only from a human perspective. But you know what? There's a greater source that is available to us as people who follow Jesus Christ. And so as I read, uh, Paul starts uh, verse 1 of chapter 3 of Philippians with this instruction, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. No, we won't read all the way straight through the rest of the chapter, but he starts to show us what the source of this rejoicing is. Paul just doesn't say this great statement and then leave us with nothing, but he starts to show where you find the source of this joy. And so from verses 2 through to 11, Paul basically says that the source is not us uh, living up to a religious standard created by men. He, Paul shares his testimony. I encourage you to read uh, Philippians chapter 3. In fact, you can, I know I've said this often about several parts of the Bible, but you can, read a, you can read the whole of Philippians, four chapters, in less time than it takes to watch whatever your favourite Netflix show is. Not putting the uh, you know, pressure or condemnation on, but it's about a matter of priority. And so I encourage you this week, it'll take you about 25 minutes if you read at a semi-sort of whatever pace. Um, maybe a bit longer if you don't, but that, that's okay. But, but I encourage you to read this. But in 3 verses 6 and 7, Paul says this. He says, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because, because of what Christ has done. You see, Paul is stating that you will not find joy in your own ability to follow the rules and do the right thing. I'm not sure if you found it, but I certainly have, that we all make mistakes. We all go against the things of God. We all make choices based on temporary feelings and desires, not on eternal promises that God gives us. But Paul says, I, I, I leave all that behind. In fact, he goes on, verse 8 to 11 says this, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have disregarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ, experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that in one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. You see, our source of joy cannot be our own goodness. It's not found in our ability to do the right thing religiously or to even make the best choices in life. It's found somewhere else. It's found somewhere else. Later in the chapter from verse 13, Paul says this, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. You see, once again, Paul is saying that his old way of life, trying to do the right thing, trying to achieve salvation will never work. 
And he's saying that he's leaving that behind. He's placing that behind to put his trust and his hope in Jesus Christ. I I wonder what it was for you. What, What did you leave behind from the past? It might not have been religious adherence to try and, you know, Get your, get your salvation. It might have been something else. Maybe you left behind a background of addiction or a, a background of just messed up relationships. Maybe you left behind a, a background of just going with the crowd and, and following whatever was going on. But something in all of us, if we're following Christ, we have left something behind so we would take up the cross to follow Jesus Christ. And then in that verse, it says specifically to reach the heavenly prize where Christ Jesus is calling us. See, what is this heavenly prize? Is it everything going right for us? Is it all the ducks lining up in a row? Uh, I tell you, the heavenly prize is simply that we have an assured future of eternity with God forever. That's, That's the heavenly prize. That's the heavenly prize. So, so what is our source of joy? What is our source of joy? Our joy is found in the promise of eternity with God. That, that's our source of joy. It's not in anything else. It's not in situations. It's not in circumstances. Can I say this? It's not even in God answering all our prayers the way that we want Him to answer them. No, no, our hope, our defiant joy is found in the promise of eternity with God forever. You know, we probably don't preach this enough. Scratch that. I probably don't preach this enough since I do the majority of the preaching here. But we probably don't, don't preach this enough. Okay, but if we have made a commitment to following Christ, if we have an ongoing relationship with Him, then there's lots of transformation that God wants to do in your life, in the here and now. And, and all that is important. But out of all of that, the end is that we will go to be with God forever in perfect relationship. And when this world comes to a close, the Bible teaches that God will create a new heaven and a new earth for us to be with Him for all eternity. You see, we have joy in this world. We have defiant joy in this world, no matter the circumstances. Why? Because we don't belong to this world. We we, we don't belong. We belong to God's eternal future. I remember I said that Paul was going to show us this in the rest of chapter 3. Well, he wraps up um, the end of chapter 3 and then really into the first verse of chapter 4. I don't know why they put the chapter mark there because it's really... Anyway, we won't go there, but I'll read to you 3.20 to, um, to chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, And we are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Saviour. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like His own, using the same power with which He will bring everything under His control. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Our author and theologian Gordon Fee says this, Joy is how believers who know Christ and whose futures are guaranteed by Christ respond in the context of present difficulties, not because they like to suffer, but because their joy is in the Lord. You see, our joy does not have to do with our circumstances. Rather, it's all about our relationship with Jesus Christ. So today I want to encourage you, whatever challenge 
you may be facing, would you start to bring it out of the now that it's in and place it against the weight of eternity? Place it against the eternal joy of being with God forever. Does does that mean that we don't think that hard things happen or does that mean that we think we should just wipe every heartache off? No, no, it doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that whatever we go through, we place it against eternity and and we say, how could this ever measure up? This hardship I'm going through, this, this tough time, whatever's happening in my family or my workplace or wherever I am, it just melts into nothing when I think about spending eternity with Jesus Christ. You see, and when we do this, it's not just for ourselves. It's not just so we can, you know, suck it up and get through whatever is going on, but we do this for others. You see, when we respond with joy in spite of difficulties, it speaks to those in our world. It shows them that there's more than just this life, that there is an eternity at stake. Mother Teresa said this, she said, a joyful heart is like the sunshine of God's love. The hope of eternal happiness. The hope of eternal happiness. Maybe the band can just join me as we get ready to wrap up. You see, your joy shines God's love. Your joy shines God's love. It points to something greater and bigger than ourselves. And if there's one thing that our current uh, society and world needs more than ever is an understanding that there is more to this life than just you know, the five senses, just the now. We're living in a time where everything is so much about the now. Sociologists call it the, uh, the immediate frame, that everything has to, has to be about now and it has to be, has to be right now. We need it now. It needs to, needs to work out right in the moment. But we as Christians have something different something different. We have a hope that's found in eternity. We have a promise of being with the Lord forever in perfect relationship. We have the promise of a resurrected body, which, you know, hopefully has abs if you don't have abs and, you know, has a, you know, maybe maybe a little bit different than the current one. That's what I'm hoping for anyway, that you can eat whatever you want, Lebanese chicken, bagels and whatever, and still get, still get the abs. That's what I'm, that's what I'm looking forward to. But this world is so caught up in making sure that now is great because they have no hope for the next. And so it's only about now. So I, I, better, I better get my lot now. I better make sure it works out perfectly for me now. Why? Because there's no hope for the future. But what Christ does is He gives us a hope for the future. He gives us a promise of eternity with Him. And so this morning as we come to a close, uh, I want to pray over all our lives for a moment that we would be reminded of this source of joy. That whatever we're facing, whatever challenge, whatever's, whatever's pushing against us, whether that be family, work, finances, wherever it is, that we would take that and we'll place it against the weight of eternity with Jesus Christ. So would you bow your heads and pray this morning? Jesus, I thank you right now. Lord God, for every single person here, God, we take this time right now God, to honour you. Lord, I thank you for every single person here. Lord God, as they face challenge, as they face circumstances that come against their lives, Lord God, we just take that and we place it against the weight of eternity. We place it against the promise 
of the return of Jesus Christ. We place it against the promise that we will live with Jesus Christ forever. And so I just thank you right now. Would you pour out your spirit? Would you pour out your peace? Would you pour out your love on each and every single person's life this morning? I thank you for that right now. Just still praying this morning. Maybe you're here and you've never made a commitment to say yes to Jesus Christ. When, when you make that commitment, your future is assured with God. Paul said that he counts everything else as nothing compared with knowing Christ. And see, as human beings, we have a problem. It's called sin. It separates us from God. We're born into it. That's what the Bible teaches us. But it also teaches us that there is a way out. There is a Savior, that His name is Jesus. And as we come to Him and submit our lives to Him and say, I'm a sinner, Jesus. I need a Savior. As we accept Him into our lives, what He does is He comes and He fills us with His peace and His power and His presence, but also He fills us with a promise of eternity. And so I just thank you right now, Jesus, for that promise. If there's someone who hasn't made that decision before, maybe you have a while ago, but you know there's been something that's come to cut that relationship with Christ. If that's you, we're going to pray in a moment. And so that we know who we're praying with, just to get you to have a line in the sand moment that says yes to Jesus Christ. Would you just lift your hand where you are right now? I'll see it. You can put it back down. We won't pull you out the front or embarrass you, but we're going to pray together, church. Is there someone like that who wants to say yes to Jesus Christ? Just give you a little moment. We thank you, Jesus, for your promise of eternity over our lives. Church, would you pray this prayer out loud? Would you repeat it after me? Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for taking my sin and filling me with your righteousness. From this day forward, I'm going to live for you. Fill me with your peace. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your hope. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.